Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I am here with... I'm Joe Hilliard. <laughs> what? Oh, you went out of you went out of order. There's man. no order. Order is a false. <laughs> I just saw the look on uh, our, our co-host's face, and, uh... and I'm Carlos Cooper. I was I was winding up <laughs> okay, to say okay. it, and yeah. then then he can't, and that's why I went. Oh. Yeah. We're going to discuss a film tonight that often sends you in opposite directions of what you might expect. Oh, there, good tie-in, Joe. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. You're welcome. Uh, and we have to get a beer in the glass. Yes. Um, and or are we going to get a beer in the glass? That is a great question, David. I hope so. um, you know, another. We're from South Texas. We enjoy a sparkling water, a, a mineral water, a water with bubbles in it. Topo Chico is, is the yeah. uh, mineral sparkling water of choice. But another word for sparkling water is seltzer, and it just so happens that what we have today is a hard seltzer. Or potentially soft in this case because we have a. Deli- I'm assuming I am. We hope. Ninety nine percent sure we have a delicious treat in store for us. Uh, this is a collabo uh, mm-hmm. from friend of the show, <laughs> Untitled Art. <laughs> M- many uh, times been we- on the show many a time and Omnipolo. Um, have we had them on the show? I don't no, think so because no, they're Swedish. Yeah, um, and it's hard to get their proper stuff here. Right, right. But we I'm just enjoying of... that we're going to put another pin on our Google yeah. map of the beers we've Sweden. seen yes. and on another part of the world. Another part of the world, and it counts. In a way, we have had Omnipolo before because Omnipolo is the brewery that Ingenious largely modeled themselves after is in terms right? of I doing the that. Froyo stuff oh, and all of the fancy, crazy adjunct things. Sounds like Omnipolo. Polo is one of those breweries that has influenced breweries that I do enjoy. That's exactly what Carlos was telling us, uh-huh. and it does actually set the stage, along with this sparkling quality um, at, at the core of hey, this If this seltzer. thing's supposed to sparkle, you need to send it back. That is a thick boy. It is. Yeah. It's two C's, guys. Incre- that's Maybe like three, three or four. I think, yeah, I think we <laughs> might be up to four at this point. Yeah. That is It's intense. like you're pouring a V8 cocktail. It yeah. is. It does look like that. I'm gonna slap oh, some uh, juicy couture sweatpants on this glass. <laughs> this right is now. a raspberry mango vanilla smoothie seltzer. Oh, I didn't say that. Part. Thank you. It's only five percent, and I'll be damned if it actually is five percent. <laughs> yeah, a lot of um, people dispute that on these. Yeah. So three, you go, you know, you go to the smoothie place and you get yourself the banana strawberry. You know, whatever. You put your nose and you smell it first, perhaps, and uh-huh. it's just that. I mean, there is fresh fruit in there. That That's what this burst? smells like. Oh, yeah. This smells like I'm smelling a smoothie that I got, like an orange Julius. So much mango on the nose. Mm. Big time. Wow. Mm. Hesitate My to God. even taste it because the apprehension is just... Mm. Yeah. Salivating well, already. Well, Joe, you've already kind of uh, tipped our hand here. What, what are we pouring this in our glasses to get ready to discuss? It's beer in a movie, guys. Yeah. Two beers. Two movies. First movie tonight, it's a new release. It is called The Sparks Brothers. And this notes my second time back in the theater since the, you know, height of COVID. Mm. And it's the second time I got to see trailers and have the entire experience. So there's, we all went to the same theater, right? I mean, it's, it's only there's, showing in yeah, one there's theater. There's only, only one theater, theater in town. So we saw the same trailers? Good. I think so. 
Dear Evan Hansen, I, I we have to talk about this. I did not see that trailer. <laughs> did you see it? I, I had. Okay. I did. I saw it. I had already seen it online because it was talked about. I have a feeling you're going to want to discuss this. And the Anthony Bourdain documentary. Uh, yes. That one I yep. saw. And Cried. Last Night in Soho. I want to talk about these upcoming 2021 films. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do that in After Hours. Patreon.com slash okay. Movie Podcast. $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week. That's where we are going to discuss these things. Um, and we will also be discussing a great second episode third beer things get fun okay they do the sparks brothers 2021 it's directed by ed uh, edgar wright who of course made the big splash with Shaun of the dead follow-up movies i know we've all seen uh scott Scott pilgrim Pilgrim, versus the world hot fuzz baby driver Mm -hmm. baby driver was the most recent right that was it was yeah yeah, it was just before this big splash with that one oh yeah i enjoyed that film a lot it got a lot it got a lot of accolades and then his next film with trailer we saw last night in soho and Mm. i'm very excited about it just based on what i've seen so far okay in my synopsis of the film i'm going to be very general because i think that one of the fun things tonight's going to be what specific things we enjoyed Mm -hmm. but in 1967 two brothers Ron and Russell, now help me one time, male? Male. Okay. Uh, Created the band Urban Renewal Project. And in 1971, under a new name, Half Nelson, they released their first album. Mm -hmm. The album did not do very well. So the idea was given that we'll repackage the same songs in a new cover art and a new name for the band, and Mm -hmm. they settled on Sparks. Over the course of the next four decades... I guess into the fifth, maybe. Oh, yeah. They have released over 25 uh, 25 albums of very quirky, often genre-bending or Mm -hmm. genre-creating, according to the documentary music, with all manner of starts and stops and failures and successes and rebrands, international success over domestic success. They found their largest successes overseas until now, I suppose. Uh, partnerships with all kinds of musicians, many of whom we meet in the documentary. Uh, but no matter what, they just continue making their singular art in the form of music. Um, the film presents that the Sparks or Sparks is the greatest, most influential band that you haven't heard of before. Mm-hmm. That they're the your favorite band's favorite band uh, is uh, one thing that Edgar Wright, I, I've heard him say in a lot of interviews and whatnot. So this is um, archival footage of their entire entire career, and then it's uh, sit-down talking heads, you know, yeah. the talking head, uh, and the list, I mean, of the talking heads, and I'll throw it to you, David, uh, after I give you the list of the people that are in the film. Mm-hmm. It's, and this is when my phone won't cooperate, mm-hmm. so I'm having a problem getting to it. We've got Flea, Beck. Beck, Jack Antonoff, Jason Schwartzman, renowned author Neil Gaiman, uh, Jane Weidlin. Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? Weidlin. Weidlin. Um, and then Weird Al is in there for a second. Uh, the guy from the Electric Prunes, uh, great psychedelic Bjork. rock band who also... Um, working from memory. Uh, produced one of their records. Todd Rundgren. Todd Rundgren's in there a whole bunch. Big, big early figure for these guys. Fred Armisen, yeah. Mike Myers. Fred Armisen, Mike Myers, yes, um, yes, yes. And they're all there to tell you that... I love Sparks, basically. I love Sparks, and this is why. And then, interstitially with that, is some interesting animation, a lot of of visual fun. The two brothers, who are now in their 70s, that make up the band... Are, are they in their uh, 70s? Yeah, yeah early. They do 75. reenactments of you know them as youth. I mean, it is a film with a sense of humor. It is a film that is presenting a band that this director clearly loves and wants you to hear about the band that they love. 
It is uh, two hours and 20 minutes, but I did not feel that one time. In I'm fact, glad I, to hear I, that. I got in the car and I was like, shit, it's nine o'clock. How'd that happen? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that, that, good good rundown, Joe. Um, so th- this is, you know, obviously um, a documentary that's really, I think, a passion project, I would imagine, for Edgar Wright, like trying to make the case for why uh, the general public should be more aware of and uh, and happy about this. And band. as a documentarian, is there a story to tell on film here? I think is yeah. you know another yeah. critical thing, right? Well, I think given that so few people know very little about them, or so many people know so little about them, yeah. that in itself just telling the story of this band that's had a five decade career but that you've and maybe has a, never has a really laundry list of admirers yeah. Yeah. that yeah. I admire some right you know. right and, and you guys let's not let's not beat around the bush you are the two music guys here goddamn you own a record store and you're mm-hmm. one of his largest customers I was so going to say David has more records than I did I imagine that the two of you clearly knew sparks before this documentary came out well i was you know i was the one who because lobbied. i did not that's how I, I, that's where i was going i'm the i'm the novice right right we were looking at what's what's coming out what's coming out right and uh you know the bodyguard's wife's hitman or something the hitman's bodyguard's wife that i don't the even know the hitman's that, wife's bodyguard that ends out right <laughs> and that uh, one spoiler didn't. alert Ryan Reynolds is charming. Yeah, there you go. So is Selma Hayek. You know, and I'm sure that would be fun fluff uh, for for us to take in, but it wasn't quite getting us to bite. And then I was looking and I kind of remembered, oh yeah, there is going to be this Sparks documentary. Lo and behold, we were lucky enough to get one screen in this town that had it, which is pretty, it was a fairly... It's weird. I, I don't know whether to call this a larger release than I would expect based on the likely interest based on the level. Timing. You know? But yes, I think given the timing, it probably had more screens than it would have if we were just in a normal summer of 2021. There would be a lot more blockbuster fare right, right now exactly, than normal. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it was an interesting opportunity to take in this film that I was looking forward to seeing because, yes, I had heard the band Sparks. Um, my, own, do you own any of their vinyl? Not on vinyl. Okay. I have. Th- th- I, I thought that I had sold you introducing. I wish you had. I wish I had bought right. it from you. I right. did have it at one point. I bet I'll you talk did. Talk more about that. Later. Yeah. It's so. It's my relationship with Sparks. I came to them about two decades ago. So around two thousand, um, coming out of college, being you know as interested in music as I was at the time. It, I made friends with a guy who had a lot of overlapping interests, but then had a lot of bands that he had gotten into way more in the uh, sort of 70s glam and um, and to some extent like soft rock stuff than, than I had. So he really, he got me into Todd Rundgren. He got me into a, a lot of these acts that I had maybe heard songs from, but never really. Be- and Sparks was one of these bands. And one that really stood out to me as being such a strange case where if I listen to some of their albums, they just fit a certain moment, like the glam rock era, where, you know, I could listen to an album like Kimono My House, where which was their third album talked about in the documentary, mm-hmm. and I could instantly recognize, okay, this fits within glam rock, see some imagery from it, what, you know, he looked, they mentioned in the film that he looked a lot like Mark Boland standing next to Adolf Hitler when they're, <laughs> because, you know, Ron, the, yeah, the quiet yeah. brother, uh, the one who plays keyboards on stage. Ha- had a, a Hitler mustache the majority of his career. H- yeah, has had like pencil-thin like mustache. A, a he grew into the pencil-thin, but the No, you're right. Early, early on, days. it was definitely more of a At Chaplin. At the time of their career closest to World War II, yeah. he had a Hitler 
Hitler mustache. That's or right. you might call it a Charlie Chaplin mustache, right, right, depending right. on your point of view. So, yeah, I would, we, go, we, I would go more Charlie Chaplin person. Yeah, we, we, can, we can talk a little bit more about what, what that was doing. But anyhow, that was so I could make sense of that. But then I would hear something like Number One in Heaven, which is an album they did, you know, seven or eight years later, where they partnered with Giorgio Moroder, who was known for his disco production with Donna Summer. And it's sort of this early synth dance pop kind of thing, um, combining pop music with synthesizers and a dance beat and, and all that. And then the stuff that was coming out around the time that he was showing it to me. So all of that together kind of told me this band is just spectacularly unique. I mean, there's something, the fact that it's these two brothers, they have such an interesting visual aesthetic to everything they do. The sound changes over time. They became one of those bands that definitely stood out to me. And so I had my moment of flirtation where I listened to, oh, probably 10 or 12 of the albums that were available at the time, uh, bought copies of some of them, you know, borrowed some from him that I listened to. And, and I have to admit, it kind of fizzled out after that. Like, I, you know, move on to other things. You start listening to other things. And I would hear periodically throughout the years, oh, oh, Sparks is putting out a new record. I remember when the Franz Ferdinand collaboration album came out that gets covered in this documentary. Very well and very interestingly, I think I want to throw in the, the whole Fran, Franz Ferdinand yeah. modern era of yeah. their music. Uh-huh. I've seen that band live before, and I do not remember it being very impressive. Yeah, well, which is sad because this idea I like I do like Franz Ferdinand, um, and I am the idea of this collaborative album, which I have not listened to as of this exact moment in time, is also very enticing. Yeah. So I had heard, but I hadn't really done a deep dive on it, and and I had heard some rumblings more recently that they had this film musical project coming out with Leos Carax that I'm hoping that we'll get to do here in some months whenever it's available. It's just about to available for pre at HyperRecordsTX.com. The soundtrack, yeah. So it was an amazing opportunity for me to go back to this band that I had had this moment of discovery with, really enjoyed, found to be this kind of unique phenomenon, and then put on a shelf and kind of not forgotten about exactly, but hadn't paid attention to in a while. And seeing this documentary did exactly what I was hoping it would do, where it rekindled that. Now, you know, so I'll start there. Somebody who came in with a bit of love for Sparks to begin with, this just helped kindle that uh, that bit of love into something big. And I imagine, because the general synopsis does not do the film a very good job, very good, much justice. Yeah. The, the, the detail in this film is in the specifics. Um, and we have to specifically talk about the personalities of the brothers that make up this band. You have to, because yeah. they are the primary characters of the show, and every single talking head there has been it's been designed to uh, adulate them. You right. know, so you've got the two brothers. One that is called throughout the film, uh, Marquis looks. You know, the cute one, the 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 front man. Mm-hmm. He's the singer, and then the other brother is we've already talked about the mustache, mm-hmm. but his just lanky. Uh, skeletal frame. stoic the high waisted pants not even Kilter. just stoic but like uh, what, scorn like there's scorn on his face there's often. scorn but there's, there's always there's... sense of humor yeah, yeah oh, it's, no, always, it's always tongue in cheek yeah. yeah. like, and especially once you dig into them and you hear the lyrics and you understand so you know you mentioned I feel like I, I, there's a thread there I don't want to lose because you asked me what my connection was I'm curious Carlos sure. had you heard sparks much before this or, or thought about them much before this documentary 
I thought about them a bit. Yeah, like I said, um, you'd have a record come through the shop. I had introducing come through. And I remember seeing... Which was sort of one of the low point albums where they were... Which I found very interesting when we got there because I saw it. Yeah. I'd never heard of them before, didn't know anything about it. It wasn't in a collection of glam rock or stuff that was more off kilter or anything like that. It was just like a random record in a box with other stuff. And it's probably one of their most... Like generic looking covers. Their covers all have very like generic, mostly looking, yeah. odd. You yeah, know, this imagery. one is just pictures of them. Yeah, which I did not take to. Yeah, um, especially something about that era of Russell's look mm. is not appealing to me. Um, and I remember putting it on and not liking it. Yeah. Um, and then, so I didn't investigate any further. Mm-hmm. And so when we got to that part of the documentary, I was already very intrigued by them. Mm-hmm. Fucking love Ron. <laughs> How can you not? My absolute like goal is to just be him when he gets at, at his age. Uh, uh, the trick is doing it when you were his age all of the time. I know, he did it. He was so consistent. It's incredible. And he's also okay, a but, fucking but, genius. But, so, but, but consistent how? I think I don't think I'm getting you off base. Consistent how? What is Ron? Because I think that for the listener who does not know Sparks, I, I, first of all, go see this movie. I mean, I, let me just get there. So yeah. now I've got to convince you to go see a movie that the only reason why I probably went to go see it is because we did it for the show. Yeah. But now that I have seen it, I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. I was by myself in the theater. Carlos, I think you said you were in a party of two and y'all were 50% of the capacity. That's correct. Yeah. I, I was in a party of three and we were 75 The timing to release <laughs> yeah. this film in a, in a city like ours is just poor. Because if you're going to go to the movies, the only thing you want to go see is Godzilla vs. Kong or whatever. Which is unfortunate. Hold on. We'll get... Okay. No, we'll get back to that and say, yeah. let me finish. So, my, so what is my, it about Ron, though, that well, makes him such the, the cat character that, God, you just want to see the next words that come out of it? Uh, yeah, I I really liked him. But to finish my thread even before Please. that um, is so that so that was my relationship to Sparks leading up to this was mm-hmm. I had that experience with that album. As I'm watching the film, I realized probably the worst album I could have tried to start <laughs> with, you know, and right. But it's such a crapshoot with it because it, they, change mean, sound they change sounds. They change sounds a lot. And, you know, if I knew, like, if I had ever approached you about Sparks, yeah. you probably had listened to enough of their records and know me well enough that you could have yeah. probably pointed me to the one that would have, struck me the yeah. best which is number one in heaven yeah um and yeah so i just never pursued them any farther because of that and only recently started thinking about them again because of this annette project and yeah. a friend of uh the show chris um local filmmaker guy um had asked me if i was going to be getting the soundtrack and was really excited sparks was doing the music and i was like i've never heard you talk about sparks before uh, i didn't know you had this love for them but mm-hmm. we should talk about that more later um that kind of thing and so, yeah, I was excited to, to see this. And now the reason Ron is so interesting to me is because I am more of him than I am of Russ, than I am Russ. Like I never, I don't identify with the handsome one as much as I identify with the awkward. With the quiet, darker one. Quieter who's, who's one. Who's got the darker sense of humor. Yeah. And, yeah. and so... I mean, even just hearing the only time that I w- wasn't totally locked in with Ron was when he shit on Chicago because I really like <laughs> I really like the first like couple of Chicago the Terry Kath 
Chicago records, I uh-huh. think, are good, and I will defend them. That's funny. Um, so when he said that, I was like, mm? and, but then, but yeah, I like his fashion sense. I mean, it's not for me. I'm not as lanky as they are, mm. um, but love it. Yeah. Love the look. Love the commitment to it. Right. Love the commitment to the weird mustache. Mm-hmm. Love that he doesn't say anything. Love that he changes uh, the text on all of his synthesizers to say Ronald instead of Roland. Roland. One of my fucking favorite <laughs> things. Also, he is playing like really sonically rich and lush synthesizers throughout this that how they are able to fit that into a mix with a full band because it takes up this massive space in the frequency Mm -hmm. spectrum miraculous um and also i really love synthesizers and so the fact that that's what he plays also i like a lot um and loved him now to tie up the third thread that began in the midst since I started this diatribe, mm-hmm. the release of it. Former co-host, friend of the show, Ethan, who David went and saw the film with, mm-hmm. posted on his Facebook, the Alamo Drafthouse ads really want me to see the Sparks documentary, but sure. the Alamo Drafthouse in my town will not show it to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a big problem with the release of this movie because Century 16 is not promoting this film. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. this is not a film that the people who normally go to Century 16 are going to be foaming at the mouth for. This is an Alamo Drafthouse film. Just like yeah. almost everything Edgar Wright would do is something that the people who love movies, like people that love movies know who Edgar Wright is. Right. And people that love music probably know who Sparks are. And there's a much larger overlap in those two groups, of those two demographics. And there are people who kind of like movies and kind of like music, which is more of yeah. like a mega multiplex mm-hmm. kind of thing. So the fact that the Alamo Draft House here didn't show it was a huge misfire. But face, my Facebook feed had Alamo show me the ad for Sparks. Yeah. Well, exactly. And so that's an even bigger problem is that, they're, it, that, that only makes matters worse because they're pushing this film and then people are going to see if Alamo Draft House is showing it because they're the ones advertising it and then they don't There's have no a screening screens. for yeah. it and so I would imagine that the majority of people who were would go look for it who who went and looked for it because of the ad then give up their search or click well, the I, ad and saw that it wasn't showing here and well, I'll give well, you oh well, that's what I'm saying is a lot of those 75% of those people didn't when they saw that Draft House wasn't showing it, they didn't say, oh, I wonder if anywhere else is showing it. They're, they probably thought, oh, the place that's advertising it to me isn't showing it. I probably can't see it right. until it's straight. And interestingly, that advertisement sent me to their competition. Yeah. Well, for, for us, the <laughs> for people us, that are yeah, dedicated yeah, yeah. to seeing the film will right. discover that it's yeah. playing somewhere else. But Well, and, and just another little point of data there, I would say, you know, part of the reason that I was aware, oh, it's coming soon, is because when I went to see A Quiet Place 2... At the Draft House. At the Draft House. Yep. Part of the pre-show, not the trailers but the draft house we've talked about this does a a, pre-show was edgar wright talking about his three or four favorite sparks performances or songs that he was you know sort of listing for the viewers in anticipation of this documentary so again i was getting it in the theater i was Mm -hmm. getting it on my social media that this is alamo alamo wants you to see this and you're right if i click on that ad all it'll tell me is i can't see other things at play there could be cinemark might have some kind of i mean because cinemark at our in our city they do bring in some film that's not at alamo once a quarter i'm talking pre-covid now yeah and so there's contractual you know there's there's contracts in this industry that maybe maybe i don't think that's me just really trying to i don't think alamo has i don't think alamo 
Alamo, Alamo has Alamo may faith. have exclusive. I mean, Cinemark may have exclusivity in this market for this film for some contractual. Listen, I don't and, think and, they do. And honestly, you know, for from a business standpoint, I'm trying to make some shit. I don't know. I'm trying to make <laughs> yeah. some, from a business standpoint, it might even be the right move for Alamo Drafthouse. They have seven screens. It's not very and, many. And it's possible at that, least one screening a day, though. Well, you would have thought it could especially, have been something no, that they would show a couple nights. Promoting or, yeah. the film, it, no, their company it, is promoting the film. I'm just trying to give them an out here. Know, right? Like yeah. from a, from you both are, and I'm not having it. Okay, so yeah, Alamo, okay. so listen to us. Don't advertise films in our market <laughs> that aren't us, showing at your theater. Beer and a movie consultants LLC. <laughs> we will very tell reasonable. you what's a what's a program. Uh, we, we do will it for work free for beer. Alamo gift cards would get yeah. Give her work yeah. too. So okay, so we're talking was, about Ron. Well, we were, but I, but I want to talk because I I don't I don't think I've really spoken about how I feel about this film sure. or or anything of that ilk. Okay. Um. And I'll tell you, as I was watching this film, I was thinking about what I was going to say about it on the show, and I was, you know, trying to make mental notes about certain things and what have you, and it became abundantly clear to me about an hour in that if I allowed it and if I went with what I instinctually kind of wanted to say about this film or what I thought I was going to want to say about this film, especially talking to you, David, Mm -hmm. is my review of this film was going to be me trying to defend myself for having not listened to them. (laughs) 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 It was going to be me being like, I I just, uh, I don't know, man. I, I just never something. And, uh, they just never came across my desk. I don't know. Well, no one told me about it. But you're not. Like, but like, listen, as an American, I mean, I think I one know. of the points that this film makes is that they. I mean, the film starts. One of the one of the first things it does is you know you see a bunch of these talking heads back and you know they talking about their experience. Like you, you're in the tour bus with a bunch of musicians. Inevitably, the conversation is going to turn to sparks. You know, like Which and this idea that everybody's talking about. Everybody's talking about them. But then it quickly makes the point that. Well, but aren't they a British band? I think they're from the UK. They're, and in fact, that is really where they've had their biggest success over the years. Yeah. In the 1970s, they were able to get some chart hits in the UK. As the film recounts, after their second album, they actually decided to move out to the UK. Mm-hmm. And the brothers spent a few years there, made a couple albums with a band that they assembled there, um, you know, sort of discarding their their past members, right. which is a, a regular which is theme a trend. in the film. Yeah. Um, and and sort of that was their you know sort of most notorious period where they had maybe a little bit of got onto the radar a little bit in America, but that faded very quickly. Now there was an, there was another blip in the early '80s, and this was the one that actually pulled Ethan, our former co-host, in. And I didn't have awareness of this. I watched early MTV, but I do not remember the w- Cool Places. I think is the song. Yeah, with Jane Weedlin. with Jane Weedland from the Go Go. This is. Who Ethan's fucking bread and butter? Oh, absolutely! No, it made it made sense (laughs) as soon as I realized that makes sense because if you were Ethan and I's age, you put MTV on, Mm -hmm. and it was just on, yeah, and you saw the same videos over and over and over again, right? Uh, Ethan and I are close enough in age where I do you should remember have, the cool no, places. Video? I do not yeah. remember. He's that also video. like neck deep in the MTV well, archives right now. Oh, sure. yeah. yes. from an academic and point of view. That's you know that his career is media studies. Yeah. So, so he's going to have a different eye for it than me. But I mean, so to your point, Carlos, like the fact that I had the experience I did, it was because I was lucky enough to meet this guy who had sure. eccentric tastes, and he introduced me to some of his eccentric tastes. The me just being an average American music listener, even a pretty avid American music listener, yeah. the likelihood of me getting into Sparks is pretty small. Yeah. 
Uh, but I would just uh, think in y'all's leisure reading, you would have come across these same, you know, stories of... Well, so the reason that it didn't happen for me is I hate Sparks' glam rock stuff. Hmm. This I don't like it. This town ain't big enough for the both of us. Don't like it. Oh, don't want to listen bad. to it. Um, but the electronic stuff, I love. Mm-hmm. Like, love... I've I've listened I've gone and I I've I've been listening to them since I saw it on Saturday mm-hmm. and a couple of the records from that era because I I tried to put on Kimono My House mm. and I was and just that like do it for you I don't I don't care about this like okay. I, like this isn't the type of like rock music that I want to listen to like I don't want my like rock music to be eccentric in this way I want it to be like LSD induced eccentric yeah they are eccentric. not psychedelic I no. want it to be like noise almost at times like i'd rather that way than like the kind of operatic voice and you know that kind of thing and but when they go electronic it's like more klaus nomi than it is t-rex okay you know what i mean and i fuck with klaus nomi (laughs) and and so i really really dug that stuff yeah but i think uh, two things one i wish I, I was hoping based on like the first like five minutes of it that edgar wright was going to take a very herzogian approach uh to his style of documentary and really insert himself in a significant way oh. um which he didn't really do no. he, puts, he puts himself in a little bit at the yeah. end um but i, I was kind of looking for a little more heavy-handed approach from him uh in that I don't think that it's bad because he didn't do that yeah, but i think I, he but made I, the right move but i think I was, they are the stars i was ex- well no for sure but i He's he has spoken about him making this project because he loves them. I wanted to see them through his eyes in this, in a way, you know, to like because I like when people like stuff and they talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like that's exciting to me. Yeah, when people that really like stuff well, tell you how I, much they really. I think like instead stuff. of doing that, he gets the talking heads. He does for to sure. Do their, yeah. Um. So that's one, and then two. Um. Fuck! I had lost my train of thought because I went on that tangent. There was something else I wanted to say about the film itself. And I don't remember. Well, I, I think- I, as you're thinking, I, I'm going to just say, you know, it's a fairly straightforward kind of documentary mm-hmm. in the sense that it really takes things pretty much chronologically. After setting us up and kind of saying, like, you know, this is a band that certain people know about and that had moments of success, like, but why don't most people know about them? It kind of walks us through their entire history, showing the brothers a little bit of their young lives and, you know... The death of their father. uh, The early death of their father that obviously had some impact on them. The fact that they were kind of jocks in high school athletes, Mm -hmm. which is totally unexpected given that even Russell, who's not necessarily as skeletal, is a pretty slight man in terms of his build. He was was the quarterback of the football team. Yeah, he was a big guy. So... Um, I, I remember what I was going to say, and it was that whether or not you really take a strong liking to their music and like want to go and listen to the records and buy the records yeah. and all of that kind of stuff, this documentary does, you leave this documentary having, I would say, a significant amount of respect for them as people and yeah. as artists. Because I think even if you don't identify with the music... Mm-hmm. You can still identify with their work ethic and their tenacity and their steadfastness in doing always what they wanted to do and never wavering for commercial success or money or any of that kind of thing. In fact, at times making very deliberate moves or statements 
like sort of thumbing their noses at it, right? I mean, when a record executive told them that you should make music to dance to, they wrote a song. They called, wrote a song called "Music to Dance." Was it the, the title of the next yeah. album? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, not the album. Not the song. album. Okay. It's, it's on um, gratuitous sax and, and uh, something violins. Yeah, violins. Yeah, yeah. yeah gratuitous sax. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and then I think that, that so good. Yeah. And the produ- the the exec that had made the. The suggestion got so angry yeah. at their rebuttal that he severed ties with yes, them. Right. So I mean, th- and then was it Jason Schwartzman that said, "Fuck that guy from London Records." <laughs> yes, <laughs> he, he's a big supporter. Yeah. Uh, I mean, very. You know. So I think the music itself, I find all of it very captivating, attractive. I mean, I I like all of it. So I, you know, hearing that you don't like the glam rock stuff, I'm not totally surprised, but. Uh, but I think to, give it a couple albums, I mean, they'll do something completely different. To your point, I mean, we saw it coming, right? To your point, like it wasn't like you had to suffer through those sections because even when they're playing the clips, there's usually a point being made. They're talking about, oh, this was a moment where they were particularly popular in the UK, and you're seeing right. them perform on a program, and the audience is literally like tackling them, like cl- that one show over. that yeah. they played was mayhem. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, you're getting these moments, and it's put in a context and. And what it part happened of, back then? Part of what I love about it is the film helped definitely helped me as a somewhat more casual fan um, to appreciate the lyrics, the lyrical depth of of what Ron Mail writes. Yeah, um, which I didn't realize that he like I knew that he and Russell you know were brothers and were partners, and that Russell was a singer. I didn't realize that Ron though wrote the lyrics uh, oh, yeah. for, for the most part. And, I mean, fucking writes it all, right? I mean, yeah. Like, Russ, it, come on. Well, <laughs> it sounds like, at least based on what I understood, like it seems like Russ will maybe like mess around with syllables and stuff to like create melodies. Editor. But then Ron comes in and kind of says, like right before they're going to record, okay, here's what you're actually going to say with this melody. You know, here, here's the oh, words yeah, you're yeah, going to yeah, use yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he would do the kind of... Yeah, scat singing or something. Yeah. Just making noises. But but it's great and you get that on screen too certain passages they'll highlight the lyrics for you and they'll even they have various people Patton Oswalt is a talking head yes. and like the, a lot of the comedians are there weird out like to make the point these guys aren't just you know great performers great musicians great songwriters they are clever as fuck and silly and they don't take themselves too seriously like there are times where if you were to just listen to a song, you might think they're taking themselves super seriously. But then once you actually listen to the lyrics, you realize there is always a self-deprecating element. There's always this kind of yeah. undercutting of whatever that pompous message that could be on the surface might be. This is where I wish I hadn't seen it in a theater because Flea said something. Um, he said, it's such a shame that people can't take humor seriously. Yeah. Or something to that yeah. effect. And I found it such an odd thing to say when he first said it. And then he went on to like, I, basically his point is that once any, once you introduce an element of humor into anything, it is no longer something to be worthy taken seriously. Of, yeah, like the, worthy Oscars of, yeah. are, the Oscars have that attitude. They yeah. do, yeah. Comedies, Comedies don't, worth. don't make it to best yeah. picture or anything right. like that. And that's a really fucking good point because mm-hmm. that is 
typically true. Yeah. And and I think it's something that has harmed Sparks over the years that like when people do want to spend time, it's like, well, whatever, you know, these guys, they're just making a joke. It's just yeah, silly. And yeah. and even their album covers. I mean, they're, you know, the Angst in My Pants album cover with uh, with Ron in a wedding dress <laughs> standing next to Russell. Mm-hmm. The, uh, was it Propaganda is the one where they're tied up on a boat? Yeah, as if they're yeah. being yeah, on one, one side of the album, they're tied up in a boat. And the other side, they're tied up in a car and on the... <laughs> What is it? And on the and inside, on the they're, inside tied up in a they're on a bed, bed with a phone. Tied up, and, yeah. and then they start like. Now let's talk about the story that they're trying to tell here. Yeah, yeah. which order does it go in? Yeah, and it was those little Long touches of it? sense of humor. Yeah. that are one of the six reasons why I'm going to call this an amazing documentary. Ooh, that Carlos, you were saying? No, no, I wasn't really saying anything. The other cover, Womp. Mm. What is it? Womp, Womp that, that sucker Womp that in the sucker. boxing ring. Yeah, great, yeah. like low angle Super shot. Low, yeah, yeah, that one's yeah. funny. Tra- trailers will sell you on a film, and this one says that some, they put up someone's quote in a review that one the greatest rock documentary of all time, mm-hmm. right? And I think Sparks fans are going to agree. I just don't think that there are enough Sparks fans out there to make this a financial success. Probably not. So how do you how do you put this in the pantheon? of great documentaries or a documentary that people would want to go see if they're not a Sparks fan. You got to put it on Netflix or HBO Max. I mean, that's yeah. where it's going to find its legs. Oh, it's going it's going to find its legs. I so, think with this one, it would it would be a big stretch for me to ever say this is the greatest rock doc or even one of the greatest rock documentaries because I think from a filmmaking standpoint, there's nothing here that makes it stand out to me. And I'll oh, be curious. You. Well, okay, good. Yeah. I, I'd love to hear more. I feel like, I was saying, I feel like it's fairly straightforward. Once we get into it, it really covers them album after album, tells us what led them to that, why they made the choices they did, what people they worked with. Now, what it does keep pretty much entirely in the dark, their personal lives. That's always been kind of a cryptic thing uh, about, like, mm-hmm. we all know they're brothers, but... Do they have romantic partners outside? You got to of? see a little bit of their work situation, their living situation. That's true, but other right. than that, you're right. The relationships. You do they that live with anyone? Do they have children? Right. Or is there any like none of that is mentioned? And I think that's very intentional. I know not necessarily in this documentary they don't talk about it head on, but I know in interviews in the past when people have asked them about their personal lives, they basically said it's better for us to keep it a mystery. It's much more interesting than the truth. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that kind of response. It's so, revealed that Russ, the lead singer, dated Jane Wheeler right. for a while. So dur- during that little, where they were collaborating, it mm-hmm. seems like they did have a romantic partnership. And I guess because it bridged the professional and the personal, they were willing to mention that. Um, and Jane Wheedland, you know, attested to it in, in her little interview piece. But... Um, but, I, but I found it to be fairly straightforward. So really, to me, it hinges on, are these guys interesting? Which I think they are. Yes. <laughs> I think they are very interesting. And that's the reason why, number one, why this is a great movie and people should see it, is that the personalities of the principal characters that are being presented uh-huh. to you, you cannot wait to see what they do next. Yeah. I cannot wait to see the next chapter of the story. You're going to throw another uh, album cover up there yeah. with with some sensational art, mm-hmm. and which is going to make me laugh, maybe yeah. out loud. Yeah. I was in the theater by myself, so I didn't care. Yeah, um, I even had my phone out taking notes. was breaking theater policy, but who's going to report me? Right. Um, so you're saying sorry. So the personalities check the uh, interesting. Yeah figures to watch and learn more so about. even though i wouldn't necessarily if i'm doing a top five list of like the greatest rock documentaries mm-hmm. i don't think sparks brothers is going to be on there but i think i could recommend this one without reservation to just about anybody who is 
any level of music fan. That's it. Because I think you will find it interesting. You may not come away loving Sparks and thinking that you got to devote all your time to listening to Sparks, but you're not going to think you just wasted two and a half hours. Which, going into it, I was a little bit worried seeing that running time where I'm like, eh, you know, rock, rock Doc, you should be 90 minutes. I, I, I feel like most music documentaries... You're in and out in 90 minutes. There may be a few exceptions if you're taking on a bigger subject or something. But if you're looking at a single band or performer, I think you want to keep it concise. I did not feel like there was any fat to trim here. To me, this film, you said it earlier, Joe, you went in and when you came out, you're like, how much time passed? I don't understand how that could have... I felt the same way. I I went in, watched it, and I thought going into it, oh, there may come a point where I'm kind of like antsy in my seat and i'm thinking where you know when is this thing gonna wrap up i get it never came yeah i understand what you're trying to tell me thank you yeah it did not happen i i i think kylie felt the running time a little bit but i i certainly did not okay so do you want to hear my six reasons i want to hear we've heard one the personalities of the number two the film has a sense of humor i mean the film's almost a comedy um, here's a, one example. It's not even a great example. Uh, whenever you, you whenever you see someone new, they'll put their name yeah. and their those are funny their yeah. attribute. You mm-hmm. know, it might say Flea, uh, guitarist, Red Hot Chili Pepper, uh, bassist. Yeah, but rather it says Beck, and then below see above. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's, it, that that like that, those little touches, and that's just one of a hundred talking yeah. heads. Uh, sometimes they actually did put up something serious because you needed to know who you were talking right. about. Um, the reenact the reenactments that I talked about earlier, the animation sequences, yeah, those were nice. The, the the use of the two, you can tell that Edgar Wright and the two brothers were in a lot of talks about how to to incorporate interesting things. So they'll, you know, them doing gags. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, not just sitting there talking about themselves, mm-hmm. but they did gags. They did these reenactments of them in surfer outfits reenacting their eighteen year old selves. It right, was just, going it down was to the shore, so much yeah. humor. Uh, number three, the archival footage is fascinating. Mm-hmm. All of it. The 70s and 80s television, the birth of MTV. Mm-hmm. I mean, going back and seeing these snapshots of horrible, horrible fashion and horrible, yeah. horrible technology, mm-hmm. but that has a role in the movie, the music business, sorry, the music business in promoting bands, selling albums, yeah. you know, that, that cycle, and how they were always counterculture to it in some fashion yeah. was fascinating to me. Yeah. And then the role, number four, the rollout of the talking heads. The names kept coming and coming and coming. And then There's it's a like, lot of them. Then we met Todd Rundgren and there's Todd Rundgren. Then we met, tell me the producer that helped them with the synth. Tony Visconti. And Wait, there, oh, uh, Marauder. Yeah, and, the and there he is. Um, Tony Visconti too, though we didn't talk about him. No, he he was a big deal. He was working with Bowie at the time. I was going to say he's not he's not nothing. You're an hour and a half into the movie, and they pull out Mike Myers and Fred Armisen, like more faces. Yeah, I love Fred Armisen. He's uh, got a movie. Number five, the music. Someone said I want to do a Sparks deep dive now. You know, yeah. I mean, because I'm sold. This this. The thesis of the film worked on me. I was I was looking at Discogs later that night. I I, <laughs> I, I have I've got a lot of their stuff in my want list oh, right now. Wow. But but the stuff I want the most, like Lil Beethoven, is very expensive. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Probably wasn't pressed very. What's funny about that whole story expensive. to me is what I was thinking when you were telling it. That Sparks album came through. You listened to it. You didn't connect with it. You probably sold it at a very 
you know, reasonable. Probably got like 15 bucks for it. Yeah, yeah. Now you could probably quintuple that. Mm, I, I, like maybe 20, 25. Yeah, especially uh, that oh, one. Oh, there's not a big bump. <laughs> well, with the... you know, right, right now I could probably get a higher premium because, like David said, most of their audience was overseas. Mm-hmm. And so even U.S. pressings of a lot of their records... 90% of the people that have them for sale are from Europe. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's all t- those albums ended up over there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's, that's where the people that wanted them had them. And yeah. so, you know, you're looking at reasonably priced copies of number one in heaven, but then you're looking at 25, $30 shipping to get it from Europe. Ooh. So, it, uh, I probably could have done better on it now, but, um, I've never been yeah. that type of dealer. And then number six, Carlos, you said it earlier. And it is ask, answering the question, why are they so beloved? Mm-hmm. But by all of these talking heads that I admire, they mm-hmm. admire this band. It's your favorite band's favorite band. Yeah. What am I not seeing or what are they going to show me? And it's this singular dedication to artistic vision that certainly, you know, when it gets to the end and you see this, what the filmmakers are presenting as a surge in interest and a surge in popularity and finally the recognition that they deserve and they're playing large venues and of course they're in their early 70s so that I don't know how easy and how long they have to do that but it that is critical that that artistic vision that we will not compromise even if it means we won't be queen Mm -hmm. or whatever you know whoever their influences were yeah, and I, I, that to me is such a stirring and and and, and hilariously delivered message. I, I ate it all up. If this film's not on my top five list at the end of the year, for when we review twenty twenty one, we we will have a very good year ahead of us. I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I, I enjoyed this movie so much. Well, I did too. I I, I love the film. Um, you know, already charmed by them, but that's increased tenfold I, I think they're two of the most fascinating guys in music um w- one of the most unique stories and just as brothers like there's even though they don't really belabor the point it's just amazing to see a couple guys who have had as tight a relationship as they've had for now 70 plus years mm-hmm. and you you get the sense like it's just a joy to be them like they enjoy what each other bring to the equation ron loves russell's voice and what he brings to the band russell loves the music that ron writes and what he brings in terms of that sort of weird counterpoint to his more extroverted sort of uh performance you know performative nature you get i mean every time there was a clip of them performing i couldn't help but chuckle when when it would cut to ron and his just I, I mean, I call it he's, a scowl, he, kind of. He's like, not, it's not even a scowl because he's going. Yeah, well, it's like questioning. It's like he's he's making a to the, doing always the thing side with his eye, eyes. Always, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's just a perfect kind of thing. And then his dance, which they didn't belabor in the film either, but you see it repeated several times when Ron will go out. Apparently, at some point in most shows, Love there's a the point dance. where he walks out on the catwalk and kind of does his little like you know shuffling of his arms and feet, and it's just beautiful seeing this come together and wh- one other little point as many times as they threw people out of their band how many of them were in this film saying yeah that was you know like it was great to get to work with them and it was time for them to move on and like how could they have not burned more bridges you know what i mean like even th- even the people that they were touring with now were just they just love them yeah yeah 
I mean, they, they're, yeah. Anyway. I think that they're operating at a higher frequency, Carlos, when you say how I wish I could be like that when I am older. Well, no, the challenge is doing it now while we're young. Yeah. They're operating on a, on a higher frequency that is admirable, and I think that that's firmly presented in the film as well. Mm-hmm. They're also much nicer than I am. <laughs> just the state well, of, it's just the state of affairs. They're putting that on for the camera. Uh, that might be. Uh. Ooh, speaking of nice. Yeah, so we, we got this sparkling... Uh, Sparkling seltzer here in our glasses as we were. Is it sparkling? No, not at all. David, no. The, don't we, lie to we, the audience. You know, we were trying we built to build up the, a certain rapport Trying to do here. the tie-in. You're right. Let's be honest. This we this attempted the tie-in at the beginning. Now we can admit our faults. Super thick boy. That oh, we go, were you go, my on. God. When you really closely read the lyrics. It's not sparkling at all. No. <laughs> this. That's good. I have to say, this is one of the ones that if you put it in the freezer and turned it into a slushy. It would work, I think. I think you're right. Because Jesus H. Christ, this is thick. <laughs> this is one of the thickest beers we've ever had, I think. Yeah, I mean, it... When I mean, am I wrong? Am I seeing no, it? Am it, I alone uh, in this? I, have we, we had two or three of these Untitled Art uh, in collaboration or alone uh, smoothie seltzers? I think we've had one on the show. So this is our second. Yeah, we did have one. Yeah, yeah. I can't it remember which the, one. I know uh, that we... Boysenberry Lime. And we, yes, and we've had a number of smoothie sours. Yeah. We've had that some Puff Tart ones. And, yes. and we've had also Untitled Arts, uh, that one that we didn't like as much, the Chocolate Banana... Uh, the Banana right, Fosters. No, Imperial Stout. Banana Foster. It was a Chocolate Banana... Chocolate covered banana? Yeah, something like that. Something like it that. wasn't the banana. And I was There's super excited about that one. That's when I learned that Carlos doesn't like bananas in his beer. Black Forest Cake, we had that one. Yeah, so right. Untitled Art is, is and, and if you look at their like beer advocate page, they have so many different things. They're doing so many different things. But one of the things they're doing well are these thick, 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 heavy adjunct beers now these seltzers we've had the conversation on the show before they beer are they not who cares right tonight right now i don't care at all (laughs) this tasted amazingly delicious and i can't imagine someone being honest with themselves and drinking this saying anything else so i i will say i i had a can of this last night Mm. um split it split it with aaron wet the beak Um, so cracked it open poured it in two glasses so that aaron and i could have a little portion each and my youngest daughter came over and said is that a, is that mango? Uh, she has a naked juice that she likes. It's uh, like okay. mango something. It's a mango yeah, smoothie yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Like, Love the naked juice. And and I said no, but it smells a whole lot like it. And she said that smells just like mango. And I'm like, yeah, but you can't have this one. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, we had some mango, whatever it was, in the right. fridge, and she could have. It some, literally but, is but the it, exact same them, consistency. I was going to say I put them side by side, pretty much the same color. Did, yeah. did you get almost the, correct the same one? nose? She went to bed early that oh, night. Good. No. <laughs> That's just good parenting. No, no uh, th- these these are so much fun. You know, uh, they're fun. Hey, just like a band called Sparks. Sure. And a I'm, lot of fun. I'm going to have fun from time to time. I'm not going to get all hung up on these stupid rules that it's no. th- this or that, or it's not a beer or it is. I mean, mm. it's all right. Next now. week, White Claw. It's not <laughs> just a cast. Um, maybe I won't go that far. Yeah. No, so I, I, I could not wait to talk about this movie with you guys, especially as much as y'all like music. Well, I couldn't either, and I'm excited that you both liked it as much as you did. Um, I, I, I felt like it was there was a pretty strong likelihood we would all come across loving this one. I, could, I am curious. I couldn't imagine us not liking this one. Only if the music pissed people off. Like you, I you know. saying that you didn't like the glam. I mean, who knows? If well, they, I, I, but see, the thing is, I didn't, I didn't. Th- 
have that thought necessarily in the film. But as you've it tried was, listening to the music, when we left the theater, Kylie and I got in the got in yeah. the car, and I was like, "Should we listen to Sparks?" Uh-huh. And she was like, "Yeah." And the first one I put on was "Kimono My House." Yeah, and I was like, "Eh, not, not for not, not for me. me." Number one in heaven. Let's go. That's me. Okay. The sense, yeah. uh, you know, and I think as excited as Joe was to talk about uh, this film, I think that's where I'm at with the next film that we're going to talk about when we come back. Just on time. Just on time. In fact, time. one might say that we're a little too prompt right now, or another way of putting that, overly prompt for this second half. No, we're right on time, folks. But what we're drinking here is a beer from Adventurous Brewing out of Bettendorf, Iowa. Welcome to the show, folks. Uh, happy to have you. This is, and I claim that the ABV wasn't on the can. It's on there in like a cartoon font. I should have seen that, that a comic <laughs> font. That's funny. Um, this is called Overly Prompt. It is a quadruple IPA, which they describe as being double dry hopped with Sabro, Cryo Sabro, Enigma, and Eldorado hops. So we got four different love, hops. Love an Eldorado. Bopping around in there. ABV is 12.5%, guys. Wow. We're getting we're getting back into that kind of territory. Quad so, IPA. I mean, with this kind of uh, fire that we're lighting under us here, what kind of damage could we do in this second half of the program? I mean, it's a volatile mix we're it putting into place. a very volatile situation we put ourselves in. Um, for the second half of uh, this episode, we are venturing into... Uh, a filmmaking duo, even though there's a third director. There's a trio, credited, but a yeah, trio, the, but, but a duo that had more time together than the trio. Than the yeah. trio well, did. I've got different notes. I'll, I'll synopsize. Uh, okay, yeah, we're sure. doing Gimme Shelter, right? Yeah. And uh, it's a 2013 independent Christian drama film <laughs> oh, <this> written <laughs> and directed by Ronald Krauss, starring Vanessa Hudgens what? Uh, and Brendan Fraser. Vanessa Hudgens and Brendan Fraser? Well, it's not a surprise. We all watched it. And it's based on a true story about a runaway teenage girl who becomes pregnant and is placed in a home for pregnant girls. Now, if you guys can figure <laughs> out need the record scratch here. how this, is... this has anything to do with Sparks, please tell me. But I watched this <laughs> son of a bitch. I'm sorry you went through that. That sounds well, J- Joe, is de- Joe is describing one Gimme Shelter what? that's out there on film, but not the Gimme Shelter that we're talking about. Oh, so, yeah, so, so sorry, Joe, Joe, I'm sorry. You're going to have to just sit film. out on this conversation. All right, I'll do my best to add a <laughs> You watched the wrong film. Let me check the Gimme Shelter bit off my script here. <laughs> we, <laughs> <Stupid>. went, <laughs> we went into the Maisel's... Did I say that right? Yeah. Brothers territory. David and Albert. David and Albert Mazel's acclaimed, renowned documentarians. Uh, Very deeply associated with the direct cinema with the movement. Direct cinema. Thank you for saying that. As if I didn't know that. Yeah, he did. That you're sorry, undermining I'm me sorry. and making me look like the incompetent one. Put your hat back on your pointy I, head, you braggart. <laughs> the podcast and their and their partner. I'll, I'll, I don't remember the name of the time. Charlotte Swearer. Uh, oh, I was going to say it. 
Oh, sorry. Who is mu- mainly their editor? Um, okay. But she came in for directorial. I mean, but a they gave her director credit on yeah. several of the films yeah, yeah, yeah. that she worked with them on. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the direct cinema move, direct cinema movement. Um, w- which even going a little bit before that, I mean, people probably, I would imagine, most know the Maisels for Grey Gardens. Is that a? That, well, is I that think a that's reach? the thing that had the most legs culturally because it got remade as a musical, and then that was, and then it was adapted to a f- TV film that was made for HBO. And then documentary now spoofed it. Yeah. Documentary now, writer. Well, documentary Fred now spoofs your shit. You know, you did something in the documentary. Yeah. World. So no, but I, I do think that well, the ultimately, fact that, that many Grey Gardens, which came about five years later, did. Yeah, get even more story renowned of for two them. sisters in a garden. Kind uh, of thing? Are they sisters? <laughs> They're no, sisters mother and daughter. Mother and daughter. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been, been a while. It's it's big e. with the same name, <laughs> right? That's their most known thing. But yeah. salesman is kind of the one. Salesman that, is great. Yeah, did you watch it? Uh, I've seen it. Yeah, Bobby Lewis showed it to me. I watched. Shouts it, out Bobby Lewis. Oh, okay. Not I a friend of the pod, but a friend of mine. Gimme shelter. He's a friend of two of ours. We could. Well, yeah, but he doesn't listen to podcasts. No, I realized the Maisel's work was a whole. I'd seen Grey Gardens, but I didn't know who the directors were. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen Gimme Shelter before. Mm-hmm. And, I hadn't either. And so when I watched it, I immediately saw that HBO Max, which we, where I watched Gimme Shelter, yeah. had The Salesman. And I, I rather uh, The Salesman, yeah, and I watched salesman, it yeah. about a traveling Bible salesman. So Gimme oh, Shelter, that was a film. That is, uh, it's been a while. I was in film school and I saw it. I haven't seen it since then. But now that I know it's on HBO Max, I'll have to go back and revisit because I haven't seen Grey Gardens in a long time either. Gimme Shelter, Maisel's Brothers with this other person whose name I do not remember, but Joe and David thankfully know it, um, is a... Charlotte Zwerin. Yes. Is a documentary film about world-renowned, perennial, all-time classic British rock and roll band, The Rolling Stones. And... The bad boys of rock and roll. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Of the time. Yeah, of the time. And ultimately, kind of concluding at the Altamont free show fest thing that was happening. It was supposed to be the Woodstock of the West Coast. Um, 300,000 kids showed up? It was some ridiculous. It was an absolutely crowd. insane yeah. number of people. We hear a um, news report in the film say 300,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the way that this starts is the Maisel brothers asking the Stones if they can follow them on tour. And then as they do so, this other story comes out of it. Because, you know, they didn't know, like, we see a lot of concert footage and it all looks kind of like it's from Altamont because it's the same, like, stage setup. Mick Jagger's largely wearing the same thing. They're playing a lot of the same songs. But a lot of it's from Madison Square Garden, which is the start of the tour. And we see around that time them shooting the cover for... Uh, get your yayas out, which is the album release of the show from Madison Square Garden, where um, the Turners open. I can Tina Turner open for them. Um, you see, there's a lot of a very interesting narrative device of there's a lot of footage of the Stones watching the film that we are watching back. Right, w- watching some in footage the as bay. they're getting ready to right. put it together yes. in the editing. Yeah. Um, which large, which largely, strangely. The Maisels seemed to have a fascination with Charlie Watts's face because we there's a lot. I feel like there's a lot more footage of Charlie Watts l- listening and reacting to the film than there is of anybody else. 
Uh, Charlie Watts has always looked like the oldest member. He of the is band. the oldest. I member. mean, he but, just but turned he, eighty. It, but he looks, yeah. But he's like two or three years older than them, and he looks like he's at he, least a decade older. Yeah, than he's, I don't know. He, he's like he's twenty nine yeah. in this film. Yeah, um, it's, that haircut did not suit him. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Mick's like twenty five or twenty six. Yeah. Same with uh, Keith. And this is the time period where Mick Taylor, I believe, is his name from mm-hmm. the Blues Breakers, is touring with them. This is pre Ron Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, who came from Faces, played with Rod Stewart and whatnot. Anyway, um, but yeah, so they didn't know. After not knowing Sparks, he's trying to have, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. I'm, try, I'm try, he, trying va- to reaffirm his musical Vastly abilities. overcompensating. Right. Um, <laughs> but they, my point is that they didn't know what was going to happen at Altamont when they started this mm-hmm. film. And so it's a... and But they do have a goal. They do have dreams. They do talk about what they hope that it is. They do, Yes. And I think what makes this movie the most interesting and the reason I think I was so fascinated with it is what David mentioned earlier, this direct cinema movement. This is a style of filmmaking where the camera captures what's happening and that's it. There's no talking heads, really. I mean, there are, I, they, there's a variation of that, I suppose, which is them watching the film in the editing bay. Yeah, uh, That's the closest we get to a yeah. talking head. And one of the brothers speaks at some point in answering Mick's, Mick asks him to rewind or something yeah. and, but that's and that's right the at the m- end there's a moment where he kind of you know there's an exchange between I think it's David and Mick I think it's David, uh, that yeah. ends the film yeah that's that that's what I was referring to yeah, yeah. Um, and but they don't insert themselves no there's no real interview you don't hear them asking questions there, yeah there's no asking questions no like well-staged interview scenes. There's no just, intertitles, really. No, there's the camera pointed at shit, mm-hmm. and you watching people do things. Right. And it's gripping. Mm. I mean, it is really captivating for being a minimalist question mark approach yeah. to documentary filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And, man, I was just... I was fucking locked into this thing See, and I was so taken by it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe it's because it's fucking Mick Jagger and he's like arguably one of the most charismatic people that's like ever lived. He's, he's you know? interesting to look at. He is. He has an interesting face because he's not handsome, but he's also incredibly handsome. Yeah. Does that not, make sense? And he's not dancing in a good way. No. But it's He's fabulous. never been good at dancing, but, but a, he's but so good at dancing. Right. It's... He's a Ridic- show- he, he is it's a showman. Ridiculous. He is the front man of... And the songs are fucking good. Like, well, especially, you know, that it's capturing this this moment. I think it, it was a moment where... The Stones had, like, two good years left at this point. Three good years left. At maybe. least, yeah, yeah. But this is... It's, this but, is their but this is a mo- yeah. All the songs are, are well for the most part rockers. Although they're about to, you do get a little uh, preview of what it, Sticky, Sticky Fingers, Fingers is which what can, they're which recording. Which really confused me because this movie came out in 1970, but and Sticky, Sticky Fingers, Fingers doesn't come out until 71. 71. So you were actually seeing them at Muscle Shoals. At Muscle There's Shoals some footage there yeah. of the in the recording studio where. In the midst of this American tour, they had spent time at Muscle Shoals recording these songs. And you hear a bit of Wild Horses, you hear a little bit of Brown Sugar. Which I had never listened to the lyrics of that song before. Brown Sugar? Yeah. Really? How come it tastes so good? It... Terrible. No, yeah, it's not not (laughs) lyrics I would want to defend, but yeah. I had never... You know, Mick Jagger's never struck me as a profound lyricist. You know, like he has his moments. But, he does, but, but he, yeah, no, I, I, I don't, don't go to the Stones for that. No, that's not what I'm there for. You no. know, and so hearing it 
the reason that it that I finally caught it was because I was watch I watch all my movies with subtitles when mm-hmm. possible, and so the subtitles You're came up, it, yeah. and I was like, "What? It's <laughs> 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 happening!" It was a good sounding song. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so very very interesting. But my research that I quickly began doing mm-hmm. the moment that I finished watching the movie tells In- instantly. me that the Maisels were hired to shoot Madison Square Garden and a few other shows. And that was toward the end of the tour. You said beginning, but it doesn't really matter. No, okay. I thought I thought Madison Square Garden was Woodstock happened. And I right before I drove over, I read a great article that recently came out on Deadline. I'm going to post it on our Facebook by okay. uh, the uh, it's an interview with the producer Porter Bibb, the producer of the film. Mm-hmm. And basically what he says is that he wanted the Maisels to shoot Woodstock and was in negotiations to do so. Um, that would have been great. And they did. They uh, w- uh, the, the film company said, "Sure, but you have to get a uh, completion bond, which documentaries can never secure because documentaries are an unknown yeah. path." So they were so angry that they didn't get to participate in Woodstock that it was Bib and the Mazels that created the concert. Mm-hmm. And Pauline Kale goes into this, and we can maybe talk about created that. Created the Altamont not. concert? Created the notion of doing a, a Woodstock West, as you said I earlier. thought it was the Grateful Dead that largely spearheaded it. No, I think that they began putting bands together, okay. and the Dead were certainly involved in this yeah. concert. And they were the ones that made the suggestion that the Hells Angels be uh, hired, quote-unquote, to do security for the show, for because a, they've done that successfully. dollars worth of beer? Right, they've done that successfully uh, in other shows the Grateful Dead had. But um, the Rolling Stones agreed to headline and agreed to promote. And then what we see in the, in the movie is these is like two projects knitted together, I think, for the final film. The early idea that you would do the show some concert stuff. And we see that in the opening, the Madison Square Garden shows. T- I, uh, Tina Turner's never looked more beautiful. And then we Fucking go... Fucking sing, too. God damn. <laughs> and then we go to, hey... This Altamont thing's going on. Hire us to shoot that. And they were going to shoot this Woodstock notion. Love, peace, you know, three days of music, one Mm -hmm. night. Yeah. But then we see the creation of the concert in these, like, cut-in shots of them in their lawyer's office, who's a character. Yeah. Uh trying to secure the location and figure it out how It gets moved last minute. And then minute. it gets moved in the last minute, and a volunteer force of people haphazardly put a stage up in a place that's too small for the crowd. And you're, you you can... We, as, as the audiences, are, are watching... And we know the end of the story, what mm-hmm. happens there. But had we not, it's like... Chaos can only reign. This yeah. is... this this and, and the three of us have been to many musical festivals... You don't get that close to the stage. There's no, no. access to the bands. They are literally no, right well, these are, there. And, and these are things but this that is have the been birth developed of the over festival. time. That's right. what I'm going to... This th- is the I mean, birth of the festival where we're learning these yeah. things. There needs to be space between the audience and the and the musicians. And we finally get to this Altamont and you know, you know someone else take it from here. That's when the film, it's, it, it, it transcends to a whole other level. It, yeah. yeah, it does. My favorite part of the i guess third act of the film is jerry garcia showing up and mm-hmm. basically just being like 
vibes are fucked. We're out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I think his quote was, oh, man, that sounds like a bummer. Yeah. yeah. When he learns that the Hells Angels that he suggested be hired are beating the shit out of people during yeah. the concert with pool cues, yeah. leaded pool cues. Yeah. yeah. But Including yeah. the lead singer of Je- Jefferson Airplane. Knocked him out. Yeah. He, he yeah. goes unconscious after a run in trying to break up the Hells and, Angels. And they start talking shit to them. Yeah, yeah. To, to Gray Slick. Yeah. Jumps no, up, uh, Gray Slick talking shit to them. No, that that's was, what, but I'm saying yeah. one of the angels jumps up on stage yeah, and they're like going himself, back and forth yeah. with Gray Slick. Yeah. But when she first started and was just like, it's fucked up, man, and was like going at him, I was like, this is tight. Like, <laughs> uh, like her doing that, not the situation. No, but I the mean, fact she's... that she was like, and she not kept taking her cool shit, and you know? was trying to. And, yeah. you know, as did Jagger, too. But there's just people extent. doing crazy shit in the crowd. Yeah. Like, yeah. from the get-go. Yeah. Just well, people they're, randomly they're, walking they around They are there to and... recreate their own Woodstock, and that's going to include a lot of psychedelic drugs and other drugs. And you don't see, I don't think you ever see people take drugs. You don't you see, see people. No. You see people on drugs. On drugs. You see people I think super on you, drugs. You might see a couple joints being smoked, but yeah, I, think I, right. do, I don't think you're seeing like, yeah. I mean, there's nothing very graphic, but there is, like there's a great, uh, before the festival really gets out of hand, there's a great sequence where like one of the cameramen is essentially like down on the ground with a guy who's like writhing around. And yeah. Weird, and, and then he's like kind of joking, but also he is tripping, mm-hmm. and you know he's like, tripping balls. Well, and but it's like he's going in and out. Where like I'm putting this on for you. Wait, no, I'm really screwed up here. Oh, wait, I'm putting it on for yeah. you. And you see, like, oh, they're they're in. You know, there's some people who've taken enough here. Yeah, that they're teetering on the edge of whatever happens they're going to fully buy into it and they yeah. and it's going to start feeling really nasty and i don't yeah. know so it's it's a tense atmosphere that evolves pretty quickly um but then again i think most of us going into it i mean i saw this i would never go into a public crowd that big on those types oh, of no, drugs oh no that wouldn't be my jam no, I, no Fuck, absolutely no. not i went I, into a public crowd over the weekend completely stone cold sober <laughs> and that was uncomfortable We'll talk about it in after hours. Patreon.com slash beer and movie podcast. Well, you know, as Joe was saying earlier, I have been to some music festivals. They're not my preferred mode of of seeing live music. I try to avoid them, but occasionally it happens that there's enough bands that I'm like, okay, I I can see some music here. Gotta go. But I I don't. Help me understand. That doesn't make sense well, of the well, David Gurney uh, that I know. Well, hold on, hold on. Packed in with tens of thousands of people, and if I want to leave, it could take me upwards of three hours to get any, away from here. That's and a tangent, some, though. That's that's okay. an unnecessary yeah. tangent. I really oh, wanted but, to. We'll, we'll but, do but, but hold on, hours. he was in the we'll he was in the middle of a point. I finished the back. point that you were saying. Uh, what was my point? Now? See, fucking Joe, Jesus Christ. Well, since we're on the tangent already. Well, my point is okay. So, so I was saying that I I don't tend to want to go to blocked my tangent. I don't tend to want to go to festivals in part because of this stuff that unfolds there because you get huge crowds of people and all it takes is a little bit of a ignition oh, shitty weather um bad drug circulating that all it takes is something that sets that crowd into a miserable sort of situation i mean remember the woodstocks that got staged in the 90s yeah, oh, yeah. and the problems that happened that like so th- that situation has never appealed to me i don't like feeling like when i'm in a place it's going to take me hours to escape the place like if i go to a club show i can walk out that venue's door be out on the street and five blocks away within 10 minutes and yeah. and it's in my rear view i love view. how you go in with an escape route Got to. I mean, I you got to. If if I'm not feeling the vibe, I'm like Jerry Garcia. I'm walking Bummer. away. Bummer. Yeah. Vibes are fucked. I'm out. <laughs> you know, right? For sure. Um, now, okay, now let me get you back to where you were. 
I think that is where he was. Okay. Yeah, that, I mean, I think that's all, all, all Maybe, I was trying I to know. say. I don't know. They, yeah, it, For me, though, to answer your question, music festival, too many people, too big a stage, not an intimate enough setting, shorter sets. Abbreviated set. Yeah. Ab- abbreviated set. Oh. People booked on top of each other. Yeah, choices. So I, I've got to pick between... I, I went to go see 10 artists. Not at this And festival, I can only see yes, six. Now the festival. You know, yeah, at, yeah, yeah. at something like ACL or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, going a little bit further back, I think where I where I started was just saying that I, I remember seeing this film the very first time and knowing how it was going to end, right? I had heard about Altamont. Before I ever saw Gimme Shelter... I knew about the Altamont Festival. Mm-hmm. I knew that it had ended in this, you know, several deaths and some of them very graphic. It, it ca- or captured on film. Yeah. yeah. And so I kind of knew going into it, it it has this foreboding feel to it. I mean, it be, the film begins, right? The filmmakers know that you're going to come in, into it that way. Mm-hmm. And it begins with you hearing these you know, news reports from the next day talking about the event and how it had gone wrong. And you see the band kind of reacting to it. And you see them, you know, you hear the Hells Angel being interviewed, talking about how, you know, they, you know, we weren't there to do security. We were there to drink beer. And they told us we could hang out. And, if it, you know, um, it's just all very... Blaming it, Mick Jagger for their PR moment. Yeah. PR catastrophe. It's, I mean, it, it's, it's a rock doc, yes. It's a concert film to an extent, but it's also something else. It's also this really unfortunate <laughs> or uh, capturing of this unfortunate sequence of events. In my research, I went I found Wikipedia mm-hmm. then the 1960s. That's the entry. Yeah. And uh, the second line down is the the cultural decade of the 60s is more loosely defined than the a- actual decade. It begins around 63-64 with the JFK assassination, the Beatles' arrival in the United States, and their meeting with Bob Dylan, right? Mm-hmm. That's when the 60s started. Mm-hmm. And it ends around 69-70 to with the Altamont Free Concert, <laughs> the Beatles' breakup, and the Kent State shootings. Yeah, This notion of three days of peace and love and music... And what they were trying to create, and what Mick Jagger says in the film, we're going to create a microcosm of the American uh, experience yeah. where you can have peace and love, and you know, mm-hmm. and the idea that we're going to film it on purpose. Mm-hmm. They were clearly going for something very different than what they got, and what they got was the result of chaotic, which is shown in the film, I think, really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, chaotic, uh, last minute throwing together without maybe thinking out some of the dangers. Um, so what we learn, and I had heard of Altamont, and I've never seen Gimme Shelter prior to this moment. And what my mind put together when you tell me the Hell's Angels stabbed a guy at a concert mm-hmm. is not what is what happened. What happened was an outdoor show. I've been to so many outdoor shows, and you mm-hmm. can get in a little community of people around you, and you get to know the few people around you, and you trade drinks and other things, and you... You, you try to get into the vibe of this show. Mm-hmm. But down by the stage, and what's amazing is just how poorly this thing was put together. Yeah. And how the Stones helicopter in, Mick Jagger gets punched in the face on the way to the... <laughs> yeah. Tra- yeah. They, they get inside that trailer, and they don't come out until it's time to go on. They're in there for hours. And when Mick 
picks uh, peeks his head out the door to sign an album or two. It's like I uh, I can't go anywhere in this crowd. Yeah. And then they're getting relayed back to them. We see this. The the crowd's unruly. Yeah. The Grateful Dead helicopters in, gets back on the helicopter, and the helicopters right back out. They don't yeah. even play. Right. Jefferson Airplane, the lead singer, gets punched in the face. So it's building to this moment, and it's building mm-hmm. to this moment. And then the moment is that a, a young man that was there in an awesome lime green suit is, I, the research I find, is that he's fed up with the Hells Angels treatment of the crowd. Right. He flashes a gun trying to get the Hells Angels yeah. to chill. Back off, yeah. But no, they uh, stab a- him. One of one of the Hells Angels stabs him. And and when the filmmakers realize that they've got this on film and everything else that happened that day, mm-hmm. what Gimme Shelter, as it was ultimately called, was supposed to be changes. Mm. And it really is kind of this nail in the coffin of this notion of what the 60s were. When you say, David, the Gimme Shelter becomes something else, it becomes a landmark piece of cinema for a landmark time in American history. Sure. I agree with that. I mean, it is amazing, and everyone should should watch this movie. Inadvertently, they captured a moment that, yes, many people since have marked as maybe the beginning of the end of the 1960s. Yeah. Where, and I mean, it literally comes at the end of the decade, so there's that. Right. But the fact that it is this kind of tombstone on like, hey, peace, love, and happiness. Mm-hmm. I think Woodstock Ooh. had occurred four months earlier. Yeah. Like, I August mean, it wasn't of, even that big yeah. of a chapter of what this type of music event could be. The intentions, I believe, were so pure. The outcome was so disastrous and horrible. Yeah. yeah. It... it you know. Well, and it's you know it's interesting. Like Joe, Joe, you had sent that Pauline Kale review around, and um, and and I read a few reviews of the time, and you know how it, it's sort of interesting as a snapshot for how dangerous the Rolling Stones seemed at the time. Like they they really did. I you know I was joking a little bit when I said like the bad boys of rock and roll, but that was really the image that they had built up, especially in the sort of whole you know their place in the british invasion right you have the beatles which are like the relatively more soft uh, they're safer yeah. yeah safer even though they were incendiary in their own ways like ultimately once the sort we of we're more popular than jesus there you go right like you it's know like what, simon Pegg impersonation <laughs> yeah of ringo Starr doing john lennon yeah, yeah the, the um <laughs> did i get it wrong that's fine. well you, you it sounded a little more like ringo Starr. you helped me land my joke thank you <laughs> but then you have the, uh, you know, the, the this sort of uh, the, what evolved eventually was that you know these are the guys who are a little little rougher, a little tougher. They're yeah. a little more into the blues. The Beatles are a little more pop and a little more. You have know, you read the lyrics of Brown Sugar? There you go. Yeah, <laughs> right. So it's dangerous. So you uh, know, the Stones did never have "I Want to Hold Your Hand." No, they never were that pop. No, they were always more. She's a Rambo is a jam, man. That, yeah. she's that, a Rambo. Rainbow. It's a fantastic <laughs> song. Yeah, she comes in colors everywhere. Yeah, the, they uh, her hair. The good band. They are. They're a great band, but they have their moments. <laughs> so, and and these, this was definitely in that era, and. And, but, you know, you read those reviews and it's like, this was the confirmation of, for so many people of how dangerous a band they were, right? right? Like Mick Jagger's very presence could incite violence, like could, could, could convey this uncontrollable urge to kill and maim and all that, which 
The religious right love give me shelter. Right. So to me, (laughs) you know, like who came of age, I guess, 25-ish years after this or 20, you know what I mean? And music had gone in so many different directions, as had movies, as had live events, as, you know, like, I mean, Alice Cooper came after this, uh, skinny puppy, going back to last week, (laughs) you know, there was all this stuff going on on stage. (laughs) Top 10 most terrifying bands. And in terms of, like, imagery and, and what was going on, and lyrical content and performance that were so much darker and so much more... Um, tapped into something violent and and potentially chaotic, and and occasionally that happens. You know, it it's almost it's strange. You know, to try to put all that together, where you're like, yeah, but at this moment, this band was about as dangerous as it got. This band, and so seeing, you wouldn't want my trousers to fall down, <laughs> would you? <laughs> right. So so seeing something like this, That's my and Jagger and person, and trying to trying in my mind to think like as as. Horrific and tragic an event as this is. Oh, it's it's brutal to watch. It's, what you were saying to me, it's more a, a an exercise in people poorly managing, poorly planning, and poorly executing a festival. You know what I mean? Like that's. It's not about the music. It's not about no. like. There's nothing in their music that makes people want to kill each other. There's even nothing from in the, the stages. They're calling out. Look, look guys, sit down, yeah, settle down. Yeah, Let's yeah, just. Yeah. We're here to love each right. other. We're here to. It's it's about crowd control and mm-hmm. people not having figured out yet how you can have these kind of massive gatherings and keep people safe because once you get drugs involved, once you get, once you're trying to use a biker gang as security force <laughs> what you're trying like all of these elements were bad elements to have and that's that's the end result but it's interesting that you know looking back at the reviews then and how people were, were viewing it it was confirmation that the the stones were this dangerous element that was going to you know undermine social uh harmony you know what i mean how interesting was it to see the stones that accessible to three hundred thousand people that would never happen now. They like doing a free show? No, no, no. On the stage and oh, like with people being able to just crawl up on the stage. Just, yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, up the stairs and get it. a dog walks across the stage yeah. at some point. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. It, they figured it out, right? I mean, this is to I, well, people. I don't who, know if they did or they didn't, but they've changed it certainly. They figured out enough in terms of security to be able to keep these things much safer than oh, they once were. Right? Yes. Yeah. That was another thing that really stressed the dog. Uh, and then there's like a there's a point where the directors really focus in on this guy mm-hmm. who's standing on the stage who's just in this other world. Yeah. Do you remember what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, I kind of do. He's yeah. Not the like, Hell's Angel that's staring down Mick Jagger. No, You're talking about the no. other guy. Yeah, the, the who's, yeah. And he's just kind of like looking off into space. and he's like tripping. <laughs> I mean, he's tripping balls, but yeah. like in a kind of violent way. I mean, he's yeah. not really doing anything to anybody, Yeah, but it's uncomfortable. Right. It looks like at any point he's about to snap out of whatever trance he's in and like fucking kill somebody, yeah. you know? And eventually oh. he would just walks off. There's this amazing shot from the stage of Mick making eye contact with some people in the crowd that are clearly very concerned and trying to relay to him that this is an unsafe situation. Yeah. And then Mick, I do, I do remember Mick that. stares at them. They they're, they're try to communicate, and then he just starts boogieing and going into some other tune. Yeah, it, it, this film is fascinating on so well, many I levels. Mean, he, they There's keep a lot try, going on. I mean, th- that last half hour of the film where it's them just trying to play 
and you know starting a song and having to stop it so that the, okay we got to like we every time, time we start playing by the, every time we, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, someone's it, badly hurt over there. We need a doctor by the. You know, I'm, I'm sure hundreds of times before, you know, they had had the experience of having to stop a song. But like, and and I think in their minds, there's part of them that's like, well, if we can just keep playing, people are eventually going to get into the music enough that it's going to distract them from whatever they're fighting about. Like, they're mm-hmm. going to lock in and they're going to just want to hear us play. And never really have it. It's it just can't. The, the the crowd is turned too much at that point. It's it's and the angels weren't helping. You know what I mean? The angels were just stoking I think, it. I, I the film presents that the angels are the issue. You know, I mean, because they're beating people in mid in daylight. Yeah, you know, no, they what, aren't. I mean, they go zero the opening pretty quick. Absolutely, their idea of crowd control is if we see you doing anything slightly whatever problematic we're just gonna whack you and harm you physically in front of it and yeah and then eventually people start taking umbrage like what are you you can't just smack us i've over been the to head many concerts and yeah. i've acted just like this why are you hitting <laughs> right. me with a pool right. cue yeah. yeah did y'all notice a particular cinematographer credit on this film yes i did young no. george lucas Oh, right. One yeah. of the camera operators. That's right. His camera got jammed pretty early in filming and none of his footage was used. Right. Just like in the Star Wars prequels where none of his footage should have been used. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wish that camera had jammed, but it was digital. It wouldn't go <laughs> well, on. Well, you know, the, the, yes, you're, you're right. I've, I, I did remember that. The uh, You're not all powerful, Anakin. I could be. <laughs> just, just bad. You know, going back to just, just a quick footnote with Joe talking about, you know, Woodstock was filmed. And pr- prime among those was uh, uh, Scorsese. Yeah, he was right? on Martin set, Scorsese yeah. was, was was part of that crew, and uh, as was Thomas Schoonmacher, and that was kind of one of the first things that they did together, and they went on to, to make great films. So th- this whole moment was interesting, where yeah. people who were aspiring filmmakers were starting to work on these kind of rock documentaries and you know get their feet wet with that. And, and that's something that still goes on to this day. I think one of Steven Soderbergh's first film credits was uh, doing a Yes concert film which is yeah kind of funny yeah yes <laughs> do we have anything more to say about watch Jimmy Jimmy Shelter? Shelter. I mean, it, yeah i mean this is i feel like a fool it, it, now this is i said it. in the first half or knowing the sparks i don't think sparks the sparks brothers is going to make my top five rock documentary list this will. I yeah, mean, like, give me shelter, will. And it's not even that I love the stones. They're one of my top five bands. It's not even that I think they that are? this they no, aren't. No. <laughs> but but it's that this film, it, it, it is a rock doc, it is a concert film, but it's also this really amazing, fortuitous, cameras were rolling when some stuff went down that was era-defining and, mm-hmm. and really set the stage for what came with festivals. Like mm-hmm. in that this was a document of how it should not be done, and then people have learned from it since. Yeah, riveting stuff, well I would said. say. It is, it is a film that is hard to look away from. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's well shot. It's all it's, it's yeah. nothing else to say. Is this beer easy to look away from? Well, my glass is empty. Well, I'm that's, impressed. That's I'm, I'm still sipping. Uh, th- this is a this is a hefty boy. This hefty, is, um, good good word. You know, a quad IPA. I'm going to give them a lot of credit. They definitely, I think, have balanced this as much as anything that I've had. That's this aggressive as an IPA. Like I, I'm thinking of like the 120 minutes. You know the, these. These other IPAs that are going for that, like, we're going to have, you know, 13, 14% ABV and we're going to have so many hops. This 
definitely qualifies as an IPA. It's got that hop character. It's definitely got some of that maltiness that you would associate with those heavier ones. But it's all done pretty, pretty well. When you do as much as they're trying to do, 12, yeah, which is a lot, twelve point a double dry hopped quadruple IPA, twelve point five in an IPA that's as clear as this is. I mean, mm-hmm. it is opaque. I mean, slightly, but I mean, it gets into a really gray area of we're we're de- we're departing from IPA style enough to get that ABV way up. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm going to enjoy this beer. I'd, I'd buy some if it was available. Did we get this in the mail or did you? This was a mail. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not going to be able to go to the store and buy no. this. Yeah. That's our, our, our listeners up in Iowa probably can get sure. this. Yeah. Um, I imagine that this is a brewery that if I lived in Iowa, I'd want to go visit a little more often. They're clearly doing some very interesting things. I know yeah. that they're going to sell a bunch of IPs. Very adventurous. That, that aren't the 12. Well, it's like some fun kind of pop art can art. I was mentioning the the comic But if you're pulling out the... a 12.5 quad, you're doing other interesting things. I just know that you are. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. can I can... I can read that by right. by what they've delivered in this one can. I don't know if I'm as happy in the gray area as maybe you just put it out there. Yeah. It's got a very muddy... Anyone getting pepper? Let me take another mm. sip. I, I, haven't, I haven't put my thoughts together correctly before I started speaking. Well, it's hard with this one. Welcome to me. I mean, as far thing? as the hops go, I, I, I feel like it's a little more resinous. Uh, it, it's... it's I don't know if I'd say dank exactly, but it's got some pininess there. I, I think yeah, that, that with the maltiness, I don't know. and Not pepperiness, though. Okay. It's the bottom floor of the palate is not being pleased. Yeah? It's, I don't it, know what that means. I know. Neither do I. It's muddy. It's, 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 well, I know. it's, it's dirty. It's not okay. clean. I, I, I think, think that would make me enjoy it more, but at the same time, I think I'd buy more cans of this. You understand what it, it, I think I do. I mean, there, I think whenever you get the ABV here, like this is the thing that I struggle with with these like triple or quad IPAs, that there's often such a maltiness to mm-hmm. it that it just, and you're describing it as kind of dirty, and I think it is. Like there is like an earthiness that comes through, especially when it sort of interacts with some of the hop uh, presence there. This one doesn't put me off as much. Like, I've definitely had those heavy IPAs that get to a point where, like, and I'm there with 120 minute. It's the last couple times I've tried that, I yeah, just have I re- not enjoyed I remember, it. Yeah. It's just too much. It's too much. This one I feel like stays just on and the, the gimmick on the is other too much. Side. So no, thank you. I'm, it's just not for me. But yeah. enjoy your success if some, somebody else yeah, wants no, to go down who, this road. People who want that, I'm sure. happy that they have it. Yeah. But to me, this one stays <laughs> just on the other side of where it's it's palatable for me. Yeah. This isn't something that I'd want to keep in the fridge all the time. This isn't no. something that I would be picking up four pack after four pack if I was in you know their town or whatever right but i am impressed with it i think it shows a lot of uh you know skill on their part to be able to put this together as well as they have i've been able to drink it pretty easily through the second half here i think that um you know i think most people who are ipa drinkers would find this to be an you know at least worth a try but i don't but it's really hard with something that's 12 and a half percent to think of it as ever being a staple for sure. 
I think that we've talked about it this much means that they're on the right track. They've created a beer worth talking about minimally. Yeah, that's not nothing. No. Um, definitely not for, for me. Personally. And the best I thing mean, I can do is just try it again and again and again. So if you live in <laughs> Iowa, go. You know, get, yeah. get your hands on some adventurous brewing. I love their name. Yeah. Uh, d- definitely not for me. Uh, you guys know that the maltier bills, it, it's not, that's not for me. Um, but it's certainly not a beer that I'm mad at by any stretch of the imagination. Um, are you mad at us for <laughs> no, doing these movies? Um, have you seen any of it? Have you, uh, had any of these beers? Where do you stand on the seltzer thing? Uh, should it be on beer in a movie or is it not a beer? And so we shouldn't talk. I don't know. Let us know what you think you can get involved in the conversation that you just listened to on all of your favorite social media channels, Twitter, beer movie show, Instagram at beer and movie, Facebook.com slash beer and movie TX beer and movie podcast.com. If you're listening to this on Apple podcast, please rate review and subscribe. That helps out a great deal. Helps the algorithm do what it do. Uh, if you leave a review, there is a chance that I will review your review on the show. It's been a while since we've had a, an actual written review happen. We know you're going to give us that five stars, but go ahead and write a review. It's fun for me to read. You've heard us mention it a couple of times, but we do talk about things that are not movie and beer related, but that happens on Patreon. You can help us. Uh, you, you can support the show. You know, uh, Those of you that are patreon subscribers and have been thank you so much you're helping us get some new mics uh upgrading our mic situation a little bit so we greatly appreciate you helping the show get better helping the production value but again we talk about all sorts of stuff over there patreon.com slash beer movie podcast five dollars a month gets you a bonus episode every single week that's Duble, the beer in a move. Uh, <laughs> a Michael du- Buble. <laughs> Michael Buble is going to be a guest on the Patreon. We I've reached out to his team. Oh, nice. We're in contact. We're gonna bring him in, but only on Patreon. Uh so We're having hit, Michael Buble on Patreon? Uh, hey. I'm surprised that I'm learning now. I can't I, I can neither confirm nor deny these allegations that I have presented against myself. Before or after Harry Connick. Uh, <laughs> Harry Connick is the OG, the OG and the, those two, the conversation of those two. Yeah. Um, shouts out to Harry Connick Jr. Come on the show. Um, <laughs> What's your favorite movie? We'll watch it. Uh, Life Without Memphis Dick. Bell. A good Harry Connick Jr. movie. Oh, okay. Highly underrated. What's the one he was uh, in with Sandra Bullock about the South, Southern Girl, Southern Harry Connick Jr.? Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it is, it sounds yeah. terrible. It is. Until next time. But when you think you've made it disappear, you're sure you've made it disappear. You've still got angst in your pants. Thank you.